This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. All right. I hope you had a great weekend. Welcome to the Sean Spicer Show. This has been a crazy few days. If you're looking for a place to chat about politics, to get caught up, to know what's ahead, man, are you in the right place? It is unbelievable. There are days when I used to wake up and say, what are we going to cover when I was on Newsmax? Like, we got to fill a show. I don't know that we have enough time today. (laughs) I mean, seriously, so much has been going on. First and foremost, you know the narrative. You guys have heard it from your friends, right? Trump can't win. He just can't do it, blah, blah, blah. That narrative just got smashed this weekend. ABC and NBC both coming out with polls showing that uh, the Trump can win. And they literally flipped out uh, on their own work. I'll tell you about that in just a minute. Um, then obviously, you, I'm sure, unless you're living under a rock, know that in six days, the government's going to shut down. And trust me, it's going to shut down. It's just a question of whether all of it or just parts of it but we are under the wire now, six days and counting. Uh, immigration, holy smokes, these images. By the way, the Today Show kicked off this morning with Taylor Swift going to a football game, and I'm sure that's a big deal for kids. But the reality is that this influx of people coming over illegally into our country is unreal. Eagle Pass, Texas is an absolute mess, and it's also a distraction from what the cartels are really doing. I want to talk to you about that. Plus, we've got two really cool guests today. Nick Friedis is a um, a delegate from Virginia. He's in the House of Delegates there. He's a former Green Beret. Um, and he has got like a million people on Instagram and a huge audience on YouTube talking about like common sense things. Um, and if you haven't seen, I'll show you one of the videos, but it's really cool. And then my friend and colleague, Liz Wheeler, she's got a brand new book out about children called Hide Your Children, exposing the Marxists behind the attack on America's kids. Um, She's at the forefront of this. She names names. So if you're a leftist or a Marxist, be careful. It's going to come out. And then if it didn't get any crazier, this is debate week again. Who qualified? What are their strategies? Who's got to do well? Who's not going? And what are they going to do? You know who I'm talking about. A lot to get into. So let's get into it. As I said just a minute ago, this whole notion, can Trump win? That's like on both sides. Republicans keep saying, I need to get elected because Trump can't win. The Democrats tell you in the media, Trump can't win. But here's the thing. The polls that just came out over the weekend from Washington Post and ABC say that he can. Biden, people are like, think that this economy is a disaster. They know that their own personal situation isn't good. I mean, who's this? You look at the inflation numbers, and you know you're getting killed, you're bringing home less pay, the cost of going to the grocery store or out to a restaurant has gone up. No kidding. I mean, and that's just your personal stuff. The foreign policy is a disaster. North Korea, Ukraine, Iran. I mean, we just gave him six billion bucks. No kidding. So, and then his concerns about his age. I mean, even Democrats want to get rid of him. So, but I get it. We don't do national elections. I I don't think so either. But the reality is, He's leading in the ABC poll, 51-42. So just if you look at it purely on trends, which is what I do, I don't think this is how you break it down. I've told you before, eight states that matter. He's leading 51-42, and it's grown since the last one. So what do they do? 
They were, oh, it's an outlier. This one didn't count. The Washington Post literally crapped on its own poll. They put a disclaimer out there saying, uh, you know, this isn't that good. Here's why it kind of sucks. We just spent a ton of money, but Trump's doing really well and Biden's sucking it up. So it's not that good. And then ABC has like a meltdown on this week when they're presenting it, explaining why their own poll that they partnered with the, the, the Washington Post is not that you really shouldn't believe it. Are you kidding me? These guys, it's amazing. Every other poll, it's like Trump getting killed, can't win. Now it's like, um, here's what's wrong with the poll that we just paid a ton of money. Now, I've told you all before, I don't believe in national polls. So I never thought it was that good anyway. But the reality is these guys are so scared, rightly so. I mean, Biden is a disaster. Kamala Harris, are you kidding me? They're all freaking out on the left. So what do they do when the poll comes out showing that? They go, oh, well, it's not that big of a deal. By the way, I also thought, and this is like, again, what I was saying at the beginning, you can't make this stuff up. I know that the Hollywood writers apparently have some kind of a deal and they must be chomping at the bit because Bob Menendez, this Democratic senator from um, New Jersey, who had been like investigated and got off on a hung jury a few years back, a hung jury. Dude, that's when you go pray, dear Jesus, thank you for letting me off. I promise you, I will never do anything again. What does he do? He's like, hey, maybe I can scam some people in Egypt. Him and his wife are brought up on charges by the Southern District of New York. These guys don't kid around. These are the killers, man. And he says, you know, I'm not that guilty. He has a jacket that has the seal of the United States on its breast with his name under it, Bob Menendez. And there are hundreds of thousands of dollars stuffed in it and gold bars with the fingerprints of the dudes in Egypt that he's bribing. And he's like, hey, this could have happened to anybody. You know, seriously, I do believe, by the way, that this is why Bob Menendez does not want the Senate to relax the dress code. Because you can't stuff that much money in gym shorts. We all know that. And by the way, there's no way you could put these big bricks of gold in there. No way. You need a full-on suit to stash that much cash. <laughs> you don't make this stuff up. If you're going to take a bribe, don't take gold bricks that have the fingerprint of the guy that you bribed on it. Pro tip there, Bobby. <laughs> Seriously, what is going on? And he's like, people, he came out today and said that it was just an attack on Latinos. No kidding. I think a bunch of people, yeah, they were like, uh, nope, that had nothing to do with that. Had to do with the fact that you were stuffing cash and gold bars into a pocket that has your name on it. With the seal of the United States Senate, you dummy. Um, and as I said, the Today Show kicks off this morning. I have to watch these shows because I'm addicted and, and I do it so that you don't have to. It's love. Uh, and here we are with thousands of people going over Eagle Pass, Texas, into our country. And the Today Show leads with, you guessed it, Taylor Swift going to a football game. But here's the problem. ABC this week, and I'll give them some credit for covering this. They had the border chief on. And he's like, part of what's happening at Eagle Pass is a distraction. They just don't want you to see what's really happening. So the cartels go, we're going to flood the zone here at Eagle Pass. And then we're going to go over somewhere else and bring in fentanyl, drugs, people, people on the terrorist watch list, people convicted of sex offenses, dangerous criminals. That's what's happening here. It is. Uh, that's what's really going on, folks. What is the No Spin News all about? You know that this is a fact-based analysis news program. You know that. 
we avoid speculation. We don't do conspiracies here. We don't do party politics here. We're not nonpartisan. That's wrong. Not that. Okay, we are advocates for a stronger America and a more just society. We don't believe in communism. We don't believe in socialism. We don't believe in nihilism. We don't believe in the progressive woke culture. We think it is un-American. We don't support that. So you should know what we are. And it would then crystallize what we do. Listen to the No Spin News. Subscribe to Bill O'Reilly's podcast feed wherever podcasts are available. The other big thing, as if if it couldn't get bigger enough, is that we're on the heels of a government shutdown. Saturday night at midnight, the government shuts down. That's it. Boom. This time, why it's different is... It includes the military. That's the big, real determinative factor here because we've shut the government down before. And so people will still go to work, right? They, they're called essential workers. I always wondered who the non-essential people are and why, you know, if you're non-essential, how essential are you? Why are we paying you? But anyway, we have people that are going to get forced to go to work. Um, and that includes the military. They just won't get paid. Here's the thing that I just want to be clear on. Um, That's, you're asking people to go, and will they get paid? Sure, at some point, yes. But if you've got rent to pay and food to put on the table and you're an enlisted member that has a family, this is not gonna be easy. So as much as we all want this, remember, it's going to hurt a lot of folks that actually um, are, are just out there doing their job and serving their country. And we need to do what we can to help them if this happens. But the Republicans have no plan, just to be clear. I mean, it has been unbelievable watching this all happen. The Republicans are trying to figure out how to handle this. And you got a short-term continuing resolution. They're trying to figure out what to do. Trust me, I don't see how this is going to go out. And as we go down to the wire, maybe they try to pass a couple things, or maybe they get to a, a, a continuing resolution for like 30 days or 15 days. The Senate has already sent it over. The Republicans sold out over there. So the question is, what do Republicans want? And I said this last week when we had people on the show, they need to come up with a very clear list of what their demands are. Right now, I just don't see it. And we're gonna end up with a shutdown Saturday night. Now, just to be clear, if you're on Medicare, Medicaid and all that, those checks still go out. Those are mandatory spending. It's, it's made, it has to happen. It's the other stuff and the people who aren't gonna get paid that you should worry about. So I'm just telling you, I, I don't think we have a deal yet. Keep an eye on all this. Um, it's just, it's gonna be messy. And um I just don't see a way out right now. Lastly, as I said, we have this other debate coming up, the second debate. Asa Hutchinson looks like he's the only one that can't make it, but he has a couple hours till tonight to technically make it. I just don't think it's going to happen. So of seven instead of eight, I believe this is a big night for Ron DeSantis. He must, must come if he wants to be taken seriously as a competitor and as a number two to Trump. But watch Haley. I think Nikki Haley is also someone to keep an eye on. Uh, But the big issue is also the, the third criteria. Doug Burgum, that governor of North Carolina, he slipped into the wire. He's going to be on stage. He'll have seven, not eight, as we did. But the next one, the third, the RNC has changed the criteria. You need 4% now in a national poll or two of the early state polls. It's going to be interesting to see. I think we'll end up with everyone but Burgum, but let's keep an eye on those. Obviously, Trump won't be there. He's going to be counter-programming at the UAW out there in with those striking auto workers in the Detroit area. Of course, Biden then decided that he should go. So 
But my thought is, what, then Trump should just go to the border. Maybe that's what it takes to get Biden to see this stuff because he seems to only want to counterprogram Donald Trump. But the debate night is going to be interesting. We will be previewing that tomorrow and into Wednesday. We're doing a thing called debate prep. If you go to Sean Spicer, .locals.com. You can be part of the debate prep thing. By the way, Biden, who can make it to the UAW, remember, he still hasn't made it to East Palestine. That's interesting, isn't it? I'm Mike Slater from the podcast Politics by Faith. This is a crazy time in our country. It's stressful, a lot of anxiety, and it's going to get worse. And I realized that one of the things that helps me take away the stress is realizing that there's nothing new under the sun. So on this podcast, we take the news of the day, and we run it through the Bible and other periods in history to realize that we've been through this before and we can rise above again. Politics by faith, anywhere you listen to the podcast. Politics by faith. Okay. Uh, I want to introduce Delegate Nick Friedis uh, for you. He is a combat uh, Green Beret from Virginia in the House of Delegates. He's amassed almost a million followers on Instagram with videos like this. Well, several grocery stores are leaving the city of Chicago due to excess losses associated with shoplifting. So the mayor of Chicago has wisely announced that they're going to up their police presence and start to prosecute people for theft. I'm just kidding. They're not, they're not going to do any of that. No, no. They've decided the best way to address this problem is for the government to start owning grocery stores. Because who doesn't want a grocery store experience, which includes the efficiency of the DMV combined with the customer service of the IRS? All right. I want to introduce the man behind the coffee cup, Nick Friedis. Nick, good to see you. Good to see you as well, Sean. Thank you for having me on. You know, uh, so for the, you've got now what, close to a million people that are following on Instagram. I think the first question I have is how many coffee cups do you have? <laughs> I don't even know at this point. Did you, did, um, but, but did you buy, uh, do you have to buy more? I mean, my wife is constantly telling me, get rid of this stuff. It's taking up too much. But every time I watch a, a video, you've got the, the perfect coffee cup for the message. It's, uh, well, the thing is, is that that was never meant to be a thing. Um, <laughs> the first couple of times I did this, I was just standing out on my front porch and with a coffee mug and I, you know, was being kind of a smart aleck. And then, um, we did several more where there was no coffee mug and people kept filling up the comments going, it doesn't hit the same without the coffee mug. Where's the coffee mug? And then people started sending me coffee mugs. No kidding. So, yeah. So now I, I have quite the, uh, elaborate collection. <laughs> Uh, so but just ballpark. I mean, how many, like, what do you have? Cause I mean, every video, that's the thing you've got the mug and it almost like fits the message. So is it, there's, I, I would say there's probably about 30, 35 mugs. Um, and to the point now where we're, I think we're going to start doing our own. <laughs> so uh, you probably should. I mean, you're in politics, you can make some money or help your campaign. When you did the first one, you're just referencing it, the sitting on your porch. Was it intentional? Were you trying to make something that, like, what was the goal behind it? No, it was, um, I, I think, you know, obviously there was that meme a while back where it's, it's, I think it's like Kermit the Frog taking a drink. He says he makes some sort of like witty observation. And then it's like, but that's none of my business. And um, I, I think I just had a, I had a coffee mug that was kind of funny for the thing that I was doing. And so I just figured, oh, this will be, this will be, this will be amusing. Um, and then it became, and then it became a thing. And, um, so yeah, it's, it's, we've had, a, we've had a lot of fun with it actually. And like I said, I, we've, we've had people send us mugs. And so we try to use those as well. Every once in a while we get sent a mug where I'm like, I really appreciate this, but this is family friendly and I'm not sure I can use it. <laughs> so the thing that's interesting is that you've been elected, uh, several terms to the house of delegates in Virginia and most politicians I've been doing campaigns since the nineties. Um, we'll do a video or a newsletter or whatever because they want to convey 
something that they're working on or doing or, you know, support HR 5622, the right to blah, blah, blah. Your videos aren't political, they're cultural. And it's just interesting because I don't, it, it's funny, the, the normal politician route would be, you know, this is why I'm fighting hard for the people of Culpeper, Virginia, but you don't make it about your job as a politician as much as where we are as a society. Is that a fair read? No, I, I absolutely. Um, I, I think there, there's only really one platform where people go hardcore political all the time, and that's Twitter. Yeah. Um, or X now. <laughs> and we decided early on when, when we started doing this that this wasn't I didn't want to do this as like an extension of my campaign or my political office. I just wanted to talk about things and, you know, recognize things and, and, um, you know, make jokes every once in a while, talk a little bit about, you know, you know, the family or maybe the military. And, and there's, there's obviously we talk about political philosophy as well, or economic policy or things of that nature. Um, but we didn't want it to be something where it was just, you know, another, another example of a politician going, Oh, here I am at this and here I am at this, and this is what I'm doing here. Um, and, and, Again, I think people get a little bit tired of that. I, I think people would rather, if, if you if you are going to be a representative, and that's what we're supposed to be in, in in our form of government, well, then people should get to know who you actually are and what you really believe. And in order to do that, you're going to have to talk a lot about a lot more things than just the latest campaign stop. You right. Made. So, what what do your colleagues in in the House of Delegates think? Because as I said, I mean, the the following that you have is up there with massive influencers, a million people on Instagram. You've got some great videos on YouTube. Why it matter? I mean. What what do they look? Do they go? You know what? Maybe we should be talking about this. Or how do I do it? What what is the reaction when you're down there in Richmond? It you know it was funny. We had a <laughs> we had an event we were going to is the Southern Legislators uh, Conference, and so I'm I'm a member of the Education Committee, and I was going there largely to to look at to meet with other legislators in Southern states to talk about Ed policy, and so I was down there with some of my colleagues from from Virginia, and as we were kind of walking around, we would have people stop me every once in a while. It's not like it was all the time or anything. I'm not, I'm not trying to blow it out of proportion, but we had enough people kind of stop us on the side of the road and be like, Hey, are you the coffee mug guy? <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and so one of, one of my colleagues, a uh, delegate, uh, Coiner, she started, she started teasing me about it where it's like, you know, what is this? I'm like, well, it's, it's, it's the reels that we do. It's the YouTube shorts that we do and, and things like that. But the, the funniest thing I got, and I actually took this as a major compliment is there was a legislator, I believe from Oklahoma that came up to me at that event. He goes, Hey, I follow you on social media. What, what are you doing here? I'm like, oh, I'm, a, I'm a state legislator. <laughs> but and, when you uh, and he had, he had no idea. And, and again, I took that as a compliment because we didn't want to make this about again, another politician on social media, we just wanted to talk about things that we thought were important and interesting um, and take it from there. And like I said, so far that, that approach has served us well. Hey, this is Vivek Ramaswamy. The media has systematically lied to you. The Hunter Biden laptop story, the origin of COVID-19, the Trump-Russia collusion hoax, or how your money's being spent in Ukraine, enough already with the lies. No more lies, hard truths only. That's what the Truth Podcast is all about. It's not standard conservative talking points. If you want that, go somewhere else. But if you want the hard truth delivered to you in a way that challenges you and will challenge me intellectually, you're not going to find anything like this on the internet. Subscribe to The Truth Podcast today on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's funny. I, I, let me ask you about this first. But, but you bring in, because um, I do want to talk about the approach. It's a great, you, you, you don't shy away from bringing in your family to the videos. 
Um, you had one where you talked about your daughter, Brittany's first job and, and the lessons that you were trying to teach about her. Was that a conscious decision? I mean, I know I get asked a lot of times, uh, I, I intentionally keep my family off of social media. I think that they're like, you want to go do it, you go do it. Uh, but we've tried to protect them growing up from, <laughs> well, let's just call it some of the haters. Um, yeah. But you intentionally bring them in and talk about the lessons as a father that you've bestowed upon your children. Um, you talk about your, you know, how you interact as a husband and as a family man. What was the decision like to to decide, or was it? And then how have your family reacted to all of this? Well, we were, you know, we, we've been in the House of Delegates. We've been in the Virginia State Legislature now for over eight years, or for right around eight years. And then we had also run for Congress as well. And so when you run for Congress, your family just kind of, you know, by nature ends up, you know, you, you take family pictures together and you you go to events together and you're in parades together. So I don't, if you look at most of my reels, I, I don't put up a lot of like pictures of my family right. or whatnot. Like I'll reference them. Like I referenced, you know, Lily's first job and um, whatnot. But I, I don't put a, a, a lot of pictures out there or, or whatnot because I, I do want them to be able to do their own thing around town without having to contend with, with you know, uh, people that do disagree with me politically and, and can't seem to separate children from their parents um, when it comes to commenting on these things. But for the most part, we, we wanted to be able to share, again, practical stories. One of, one of the things we, we try to do on that is when we're talking about a particular issue, maybe it's parenting. Um, a lot of times it's just very simply sharing, sharing some experience that you've had. It, it's not even so much as just I mean, some of it's maybe advice driven, but a, a lot of it is just, hey, we did this, or this is something that we learned. Um, and, I, and I think that's, I think that's, uh, you know, a powerful way of being able to communicate with people. I, we also communicate, like I, I communicate my mistakes as well. I did this, I screwed up and hey, I could have done this differently, but you know, hey, there was an opportunity to have this experience or to be able to teach this lesson. And um, that's something that I, people have at least appeared to appreciate with our audience. And every once in a while, they'll send in a request, hey, can you do you know, one on the, I had one recently where it was a mom um, who's a friend of mine. She goes, hey, do you got any advice for moms, you know, raising boys? And so that ended up being an, an interesting way to talk about something. And I, I grew up, my dad was still involved with my life, but I grew up pr predominantly raised by my mother. And so I was able to share some experiences with that. And um, and that's that's been, again, the, the overall approach. And, and I think you know, when, when you're in politics, um, your, your family at some point is going to get brought up. Right. Um, and, and so we try to do it in a way that's, you know, both respectful of their, their privacy, but our, our kids like it. You know, my, my, <laughs> my kids have been involved in, in uh, some of the reels we've done, some of the shorts we've done and uh, you know, they get a kick out of it. So it's funny, you know, I, going back for a second about approach, uh, I am, I'm convinced that one of the biggest problems Republicans have had is how we communicate messages. Um, sometimes they're too complicated. Sometimes they're too cerebral. They don't get at the heart. When I watch videos that you post, they're very simple messages about how we can be good people, better citizens, better parents, um, make common sense decisions. And they're done on social media in a very short way. It's a, it's a, and I just, I, I started thinking about that in the context of this coming election. The entire House of Delegates is up. Do you think that Republicans do a good enough job of getting across the nut of the, of the key messages that they need to? No, we suck at it. Yeah, I agree. No, but that's why I think it's so compelling yeah. because you're sitting there in a way that that's what I find so, like I said, that so um, compelling about the videos is that they're not trying to whack you in the face. 
You're sitting there just saying, hey, you know, my kid came to me once and said, what's the difference? Between? And you're like, and, and as a viewer and as a father and as a citizen, you go, hey, I get that. That makes sense to me, right? And I think too often I watch these Republican ads and hear Republican give speeches. And it's this long dissertation where I'm going, I don't know where you're going or what you're trying to convey. And I feel like we need to do more of what you're doing and less of what's coming out of, like, say, Washington, D.C., no, I, I, I mean, I appreciate that. I, I think a lot of what Republicans tend to talk about tends up being a little bit esoteric at yeah. times. So we, we want to get, and, and some of it too, is we come off as, as angry. Yeah. And, I, and I was, I was once explaining this to somebody where it was a friend of mine, a little bit left to center. And she goes, you know, why are you guys like, just, you just seem so angry. I said, and, and, and I knew it's probably, I said, you like art, right? She goes, yeah. I said, so Monet, Van Gogh, impression. She goes, oh yeah, no, no, I love it. I said, okay. Imagine going to the, the, Monet Museum and seeing somebody come in there and just start finger painting all over a, a, you know, a water lilies uh, painting by Monet. She, I said, you'd be furious, right? She said, yeah. I said, not because you're an angry person, but because you would be frustrated at the destruction of something that you feel is beautiful. She said, yeah. I said, that's how we feel about the constitution. Right? <laughs> that's how, that's how we feel about our, our, our system of government, our, our history or things like that, where we understand that it's not perfect, but we see something truly beautiful and it, we see something truly noble about it. And, and when it gets torn down or when we feel like it's being subverted, there's a righteous indignation about the destruction of something that we think is beautiful. I, I see, once again, you nailed it. <laughs> I mean, that's, <laughs> But that's it, because I feel someone asked me once about my time at the White House. And I said, every once in a while, I looked up at, you know, the videos, because obviously in real time, you don't do it. But after the fact, there were times when I was like, I, I said, I felt like an angry leprechaun. I was just yelling at people. <laughs> and which was, but it's same thing where I, I looked at the thing and I go, that's just not, if I wouldn't like me sometimes. Um, yeah. And that's the problem is that we need to think about how we're messaging things uh, because more people are with us on the policies. I'm convinced of that whether it's the border, life, all these issues, I think we have the right message and the, I mean, the right policy, but we come across as like angry and mean as opposed to inviting because I, I just think people would want to, want to be with us more, but we just, we're not, we're not making the sale. No, I, I think one of the things that I will, I will talk to people and look, I'm guilty of this too. Sometimes when I get angry and I'm just, you know, but it's like, look, it's one thing to defend a principle, but why are you defending the principle? Well, you're defending a principle because of how you believe it affects people. Right. So, so defend the person, defend the people, because that's one of that's one of the issues is that we constantly find ourselves in a situation where we're defending liberty or we're defending free market economics or we're defending property rights. And, and that's that's all fine. But then on the left, they always come off like they're defending a, a vulnerable third party that needs their assistance. Right. And so whenever they, whenever they frame their arguments that way, what it looks like is they're defending that vulnerable third party from us. And one of the things I really emphasize is that's not true at all. In fact, we think their policies hurt the very people that they claim to be helping. And this is, this is true across the board. And, and you can even, uh, on some level, if you want to be generous, you can appreciate that, okay, I understand that they want to help somebody, but I don't think what they're doing helps. Um, and so you point that out, right? I'm, I'm not going to sit there and, and you, you can argue for, let, let's take a very controversial policy right now, and that's trans youth. Well, you can sit there and argue that this is this is a biological argument that what is taking place is incorrect and it's delusional and it's all these other things. You can do that. But then 
what does the other person do? The other person immediately steps in and goes, how dare you attack this child? Right. No, no, no. <laughs> what I think is wrong, like I can't imagine a scenario where a, a child is confused predominantly because their hormones are going crazy as they're, as they're going through puberty and everything else, they're about to start it. And all of a sudden, the world stops making sense to them because of these changes. And, and the solution in that moment is, how do you come alongside that child and, and make them feel comfortable that the changes that are happening and the things that they're experiencing are normal and that they're going to get through it and that they should be you know, um, you know, proud in their body and they should know that that's the body they're supposed to have? Why would you subvert that process and say, no, 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 instead, we're going to give you a pill? Right. And then after the, and then after the pills don't fully get it done, then we're going to start to operate on you. And by the way, we're going to make thousands upon tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars on the, on the medicine and the surgeries that you're going to need your entire life because we convinced you when you were 10 that this is what you needed. Like, I'm sorry, you're not defending that small child in that moment. Right. You're not affirming their gender. You're not affirming them as a person. What you're doing is affirming dysphoria. You're affirming something that will hurt them. And, and no, I, I'm going to defend that child that is going through something that is incredibly difficult, but I'm going to do it in a way that doesn't significantly, you know, alter their physiology or, or, or leave them with scars that they're never going to be able to, to correct for. And so in, in, in that situation, you've made, you've made the argument for why you think this particular course of action is wrong and why you think there is a better one, but you've done it from the proper perspective, which is I'm trying to protect this child that is vulnerable and confused. Right. Uh, let, let, but speaking of controversial topics, you guys are all up, as I said, in Virginia. The, the, one of the big issues is, is abortion. And it seems yeah. like the Republican, the, the message is getting pushed down from Republicans is we need to settle on a 15-week ban. My personal belief is this. The last Democratic governor, Ralph Northam, a physician, literally said on tape that you wait for the baby to come out and then you make a decision if, if it's a botched abortion. That's on tape. That's not debatable. If I were a Republican running for office in a seat where this is coming up, I would put Democrats on defense and say, you know, Democrats, this is their position. They are willing to have, you know, abortion up through birth. They should be defending that. I, I feel like we're playing defense on Repo and Republicans in Virginia. What do you think that is the proper way to, to, to communicate on this issue? Well, I think there's two things. So I, I carried the Born Alive Act, um, and that was in direct response to what Ralph Northam had done. I, I've carried it, uh, gosh, I think it's two years now. And um, couldn't get a single Democrat to vote for it. The Born Alive Act. Okay, now, now all we're talking about, and we, we changed the language, we modified it, we tried to make it as, as narrowly focused as possible in order to say that if a child survives an, an attempted abortion, um, once they've survived, it's the obligation of the doctor to be able to provide the same amount of reasonable care they would to anybody else in order in an attempt to save their life. Now, nothing in that took away the parents do not resuscitate um, powers because we understand that there are situations where a child is born and it is impossible for them to live outside of the womb because of the trauma that they've experienced as a result of abortion or as a result of something else. So, so we, we made sure that that provision was in there. What we didn't want is situations like, you know, Gianna Jessen or, or Melissa O'Den or, or things like that, where, you know, you, there's situations where a child has been just left to die while you have a conversation. It's not a question of whether or not the child can survive. And, and I mean, like, actually survive. I don't mean survive for a couple minutes. It's a question of can this child actually survive? But since that wasn't the intentions, the abortion has taken place. I couldn't get one Democrat to vote for that. 
And in fact, I had Planned Parenthood show up and tell me what a horrible human being I was for, for even suggesting that this should be the law of the land, that a doctor cannot get away with that, that there's penalties associated with allowing that child to die on the table. And so we did, we, we put them on defensive with it, but there, there's <laughs> Planned Parenthood puts out millions of dollars for, for Democrats. And, and this has become, this has become so sacred within the mainstream Democratic Party that, that any sort of restriction whatsoever is just considered right. a, a complete taboo. And so we, we, did, we did attempt to put them on the defensive with that. What's also amazing to me is last year in the Virginia General Assembly, the, the Democrat House of Delegates put forward a, a resolution for a constitutional amendment that would, al would have allowed for abortion up to the point of birth for any reason whatsoever. And yet I am still constantly coming into, you know, coming under attack by Democrats telling me that when I point that out, I'm lying. I'm like, I'm not lying. Here's the resolution. This is what right. it was submitted. This is what it says. This is what it means. Well, you can't do that in Virginia. I didn't say you can currently do it in Virginia. I said every single Democrat in the House of Delegates advocated for this. Right. And so this is, this is the other problem that we run in all the time now, Sean, is that we will say something is happening and we will be told that's not happening. <laughs> right. That something is happening. The left comes up. No, 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 that's not happening. Okay. Well, here's the evidence that it's happening. Okay. Well, well, how does, how does that affect you? Why do you even care? Like, no, 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 stop back up. I said something was happening. You said, no, it wasn't, which presumably means that you didn't think it was happening and you didn't think it would be appropriate if it was happening. Now that I've pointed out it's happening, you're, you're saying that I'm the problem. Right. Or here's the other one I love. Why are you being so divisive? Let me get this straight. The act itself is not divisive, but me pointing out that the act right. that you said wasn't happening is actually happening, that's divisive? The beauty is that when they have the media on their side, that, that they can get away with that. I, I want to just pivot to, to one thing because our time is, is somewhat limited. Yeah. There is a theory that I have. Let me pause it to you and get you to react. The Democrats currently control um, the the... House of, uh, I mean, the Senate in Virginia by four seats, 2218. The House is controlled by Republicans by three seats, 49, 46. I believe that big donors uh, have convinced Team Youngkin, the governor, that if he can pour a bunch of money in and maintain the House of Delegates or increase the Republican lead there and take back the Democrats, uh, take back the, the Senate from the Democrats, that they will convince him to run for president of the United States and as the guy that knows how to politically turn a purple state back. Do you agree with that? And how likely do you think that that scenario is? So I, I think, uh, I, I definitely think we're going to keep the House. I think we're also going to end up taking the Senate. I think it's going to be very close. I could see a 2020 tie in the Senate with uh, Lieutenant Governor Sears breaking the tie. And it would be only, I believe, the second time in Virginia history since, you know, <laughs> Uh, since the 19th century that we will have had such an arrangement in Virginia. And so it, it would be incredible. Um, and it would give us a couple of years to actually roll back some of the very bad policies the Democrats put in place when they were in charge for two years. And with, with that raise, the governor's, uh, you know, I think he's already very prominent nationwide, but what is raised is prominent even more. Um, yeah, I think it would. And I think it would for good reason, not only if he actually, not if he only helps swing back the Virginia legislature, but then actually makes good on the legislative and the policy promises that we've told Virginians we would do if we we're especially around things like school choice. Right. 
if, if he could do that, he would deserve to have this, this sort of prominence. Now, do I think he would run for president this election cycle? No, I, I don't think he really? would. I, I think he's I think he's very committed to I think he's very committed to getting an agenda through the Commonwealth. Now, again, I, I don't speak for the governor. Right. I'm not claiming to speak for the governor. But um, I, I, I do think that he would. Yeah, if, if all those things took place, which I think they could, that is, we keep the House, we take the Senate and then we push a, a good, uh, you know, sound, reasonable, conservative policies through the Virginia legislature. And we roll back some of the other really bad policies that the Democrats put in place, like tying our environmental policy to an unelected board in California, <laughs> right? If we can do that, well, then yes, he's, he's going to gain and, and increase national prominence and, and rightfully so. But if you were to ask me today, I, I don't think he's going to then leave the governor's mansion in order to, to run for president. I think he's going to focus on getting that policy through. And then after that, I, I definitely think he'll have a, a political future beyond the governor's office. And again, if we can get all that done, gosh, rightfully so. Exactly. Nick, uh, thank you for being with us. I really appreciate the messages that you're putting out and, and the time that you've taken to share that with us. And more importantly, your commitment to making sure that we keep a Republican House in Virginia. It's my pleasure. Thank you again, Sean. You bet. All right, I want to introduce my friend and colleague, Liz Wheeler, the host of The Liz Wheeler Show. She's been out front on cultural issues, talking about things that affect all of us. And as we head towards a, another election, she's somebody to add to your follow list on X, under, Liz underscore Wheeler. She's got a brand new book out, Hide Your Children, Exposing the Marxist Behind the Attack on America's Kids, which think about what's happened after COVID and how important this is. You can get the book at hideyourchildrenbook.com or Amazon. It's my pleasure to welcome into the show, Liz Wheeler. Hey, Liz, good to see you. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Sean. It's my you, pleasure. You know, I know how busy book week launches are. And so I, I appreciate you making time for us. Um, let me ask you a question. I, I thought the title of the book is fascinating, Hide, Hide Your Children. Um, because on the one hand, I think to myself as a parent, um, I want to expose them. I want them to know what's going on. I want them to know right from wrong. And so I, I guess the thing that's interesting is from a title standpoint, what, what is the tactic that you're trying to get across to parents? Do you want them to shelter them? Do you want them to get out in front of these issues? What is it that you want parents to know and do? Um, the title serves two purposes. The okay. first purpose is to add a bit of levity to an otherwise pretty intense topic. The title was actually inspired by that viral YouTube video from a couple of years ago, the Antoine Dodson video, where he goes, hide your kids, hide your wives. Um, I wanted, I thought it was funny. I thought it would add a little bit of levity to this topic, but I do think it's important for us as parents to shelter or give our children shelter from the evil of the world as they become equipped to handle it. Now, this doesn't mean sheltering them to the point where they have no idea what's going on in the outside world once they become adults. It doesn't mean not equipping them to be able to handle reality or at least the reality of what of the environment we're living in right now. But it is important when they're young to properly order their minds, to properly order their morals, to, to instill in them what is right before they're exposed right. to what is wrong so that they recognize wrong when they see it and aren't so confused. So... Yes, I, I, I am encouraging parents to give their children some shelter from the indoctrination and the brainwashing that otherwise kids experience in on TikTok, at school, and in, on every TV show they watch, on YouTube, everywhere possible, the left is trying to get inside our children's minds. You know, it's funny. Um, I, I'm probably the evil parent right now because my kids are, are uh, 12, about to be 13, and we still don't have, they still don't have phones. Um, 
Good and, for and, you. Well, and it, but it's funny because I'll have this conversation with a parent who will say, oh, I can't, you know, I would have loved to have done that as if the kid is in charge. I'm like, I don't think you, you, you get the relationship. Um, and there's too many parents who I feel like they'll, they'll say like, oh, you don't let your kids watch this or that, you know, explicit, listen to explicit music or watch. And, and I, I, I feel like sometimes they've lost the role of parents. They'll look at me and be like, oh, I wish I could have done that. And I'm like, I'm sorry, did the 12 year old make all the money or like what, what, what's going on in the relationship <laughs> here where they're subs you're subservient to their needs? Uh, do you, do you think that that's part of the problem is that parents have just given in and said, I had, they had to have a phone. They have to be able to watch these movies or listen to this music. Well, yes, because there's tremendous peer pressure on children yeah. to know what their peers know, to know what's going on in the classroom, to know what the conversations are, because no one wants to be socially ostracized. No one wants their children to be socially ostracized. So parents play into that. I think you're raising your children in a very wise way. I also am raising my daughter, not watching TV. She will not be getting a phone as long as I can possibly help it because of these influences that are coming after our kids. The, the, the difficult part is that even if we don't give our children phones, even if we don't let them run rampant on YouTube, it, you send them to school in a classroom and every, every, every other kid in the class has a phone and has access to this information. And so they get exposed to this information, whether it's directly or indirectly, which is why it's incumbent on us, as you said, to be parents, to instill what is right in our children when they're in their formative years, so that by the time they encounter what is wrong, they understand prop, the proper order of things, and they understand when things are disordered, they can recognize it, and then they can learn to handle it as it approaches them, since it will. It's one of the things I talk about in my book, you know, the 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 left has been trying to re-engineer our society for a long time. Right. This isn't a new effort. It's been going on for almost a century. But there is a concerted effort to try to co-op our children's minds right now. And I think a lot of people recognized it for the first time, just how insidious this is. Maybe during COVID, when they saw looking over their children's shoulder during Zoom school, they saw critical race theory and trans ideology, moral relativism, all kinds of nasty stuff being poured in their children's minds. And they were like, whoa, wait a second. This is very different than the tinges of liberalism that I encountered in college back in the day. It's very different. And so what I do in my book is I unpack um, who's behind these attacks. I name the names of the people that are behind the capture of these institutions, whether it's media like YouTube and TikTok or Hollywood, whether it's the education system, our children's classrooms, whether it's sadly religious institutions or the law or the assault on the family unit and the elements of the family unit. I name the names of the people behind this assault so that we can recalibrate as conservatives and as a Republican Party apparatus, we can recalibrate our fighting tactics because the Republican Party has not done a good job fighting back against these assaults in the last 50 or 60 years. Otherwise, we wouldn't be in the position, this cultural insanity that we're experiencing, but don't you think, like, we wouldn't be experiencing if the Republicans were effective. I, I think sometimes, and I've I've come to realize this myself, where we mock things out of the gate, right? Who the heck is going to like discuss their pronouns? This is silly, right? And the next thing you know, you're being, to your point, ostracized. If you don't, you're you're racist, misogynist, whatever, homophobic. Um, I, I and there are plenty of causes where I look and I go, "You've got to be kidding me! That will never take. We're never going to let men go into a woman's locker room or a kid." And and yet, so the question is. Are we just not fighting the right way? Because that's that's the thing that I always find interesting is that like, it's not that I don't think it's nuts. It's that I go, there's no way that this will ever take hold. And the next thing you know, 
the dynamic within like a matter of months is completely flipped. Well, you're exactly right. So when I when I say that the set, the first half of this book, I name the names of the people behind this, uh, this attack on our children. The second half of the book is essentially a massive critique of the Republican Party, because we oftentimes laugh at the Democrats for being so cohesive. We say, oh, don't you have any independent thinkers? You all always vote in lockstep. In at least the elected Democrats, while Republicans can't actually form a coalition on anything, they always disagree. There's always party infighting. And really, the reason for that is Democrats are actually unified around a common goal. They actually do have a common belief that they don't like America, they don't like Christianity, they don't like capitalism, they don't like our country, and they want to radically transform it. And Republicans don't offer something in, as an alternative, we're very good at pointing out what's wrong. We know it's wrong when men go in women's bathrooms. We know it's wrong when men are on women's soccer teams. We know it's wrong when children are told they're racist based only on the color of their skin and not their behavior. But we don't provide a definition of what right is right. to help properly order in people's minds what we're seeking. And the Republican Party has been the leader in this in this uh, deviation. They have they've neglected to define what is so, right. Instead, so, they've, so, they've embraced a more libertarian aspect where they're just like, oh, live and let live, bring your values, what have you, instead of defining, well, wait a second, what is right? What's the definition of these words? What what does human flourishing look like? How are we trying to order our society towards that? So, I, and I mean, I, I apologize, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but it's like you got me thinking as you're saying that because we got this Republican debate in a couple of days. And I just wonder how much you as a mom and as an author of this new book think that this issue is getting in terms of attention and should it be getting? It's not. I mean, that's one of the reasons that I wrote this book is because Republicans are at a loss for why we continue to lose the culture wars, why we continue to, uh, I mean, we've had massive losses in the culture wars. Look at, I mean, the pronoun issue that you brought up a moment ago is a perfect example of this. 10 years ago, it didn't exist. Everyone thinks it's patently ridiculous. And yet somehow we lost this battle right. in the culture war. How does that happen? Well, it happens because our politicians are too busy giving money to Ukraine. Our politicians are too busy being worried that banning transgender surgeries for children is some kind of violation of the separation of church and state, and that's best left for parents to decide. That's not at all what our country was intended to be. That's not how, that's not what true conservatism is. And I would love if the moderator at this debate this week actually asked the candidates, how do you define liberty? Is liberty the, the ultimate end in a nation or is liberty the means to something greater? Because that question right there exposes uh, Republicans who have embraced the wrong definition. And I say this without animosity because I, when I was young, I think a lot of us were also libertarian or had libertarian leanings. Libertarianism sounds great. I wish that I could just say, yeah, government, get off my lawn, you know, fight the I foreign do. wars. I and, do all and the time, I guess, by the way. tax me. You, you can. As you should, but it, it simply doesn't work. It yes, doesn't it does. work in a society. It leads <laughs> us to where we are right now, Jean. It leads us to this place where there we have no moral direction as a party. I would love to hear these candidates on the stage actually answer if they think liberty is the moral end, then right. is drag queen story hour where grown men are dressed up as sexualized versions of women gyrating in front of children? Is that moral? Is that good? Because those men have the freedom to do that. I would argue that that's grotesque and evil. I would argue instead that liberty is the means to something greater. And I would love to hear some Republican candidates actually articulate, okay, well, what is the something greater and how do we use government to achieve that? Yeah, all right. Liz Wheeler, author and potential debate moderator. <laughs> um, just so you know, you, you, <laughs> you can yell, get off my lawn, but you just don't, you're not gonna be, you know, joining the, the homeowners association. You don't get very liked after like the 18th time where you say, get the dog off my lawn, get off my, yeah. 
It's just you're not popular in the neighborhood. So that's the difference. Um, congrats on well, the, the book. Well, the next time you do this, if you could take a video of yourself <laughs> and show it on the show, I think we'd all yeah, appreciate I, it. <laughs> I, that's what I think my wife worries about, that someone will be, someone else will be taking the video. Um, Liz, congrats on the book. Uh, I, I will look forward to following up and seeing how it's doing and, uh, and how much time this gets on the debate stage. Thanks so much, Sean. I appreciate it. You bet. What a show. We packed a lot in, didn't we? I mean, between everything that happened over the weekend politically and that's going on in Washington. I love that conversation with both Nick Friedis and Liz Wheeler. What a fun Monday, huh? And by the way, we got a lot more coming all week long. The government shutdown is looming. The debate's happening on Wednesday. As I mentioned, debate prep. I'm going to be having that with Mark Halperin this week. Uh, go to seanspicer.locals.com if you want to be part of that presentation. Nine in the morning, the day of the debate and the day after, that's Wednesday and Thursday, seanspicer.locals.com. Plus, Chad Wolf is going to be here talking to us about the border. He's the former acting secretary of uh, Homeland Security. So much to break down, but luckily, it's just the beginning of the week. We'll see you back here tomorrow.